Welcome to Third Floor Views, a production of Chesapeake Family Life, where we talk about health, education, and living with kids. I'm your host, Laura Boycourt. Today, we'll be talking about mental health and coping skills for children. And joining us is Jenna Bernstein, Assistant Director of Social Work at Shepherd Pratt, the nation's largest private nonprofit provider of mental health services. Jenna, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'd love to start by just if you could introduce yourself to listeners and viewers about your background and then if you could tell us what you do at Shepherd Pratt. Sure, of course. So I am a licensed clinical social worker. I've worked with children and adolescents for the past 15 years in across a variety of settings. So I've done outpatient therapy, residential, in-home, uh, in the schools, and now I do crisis stabilization. At Shepherd Pratt, we have um, our inpatient crisis stabilization units. So I work, I supervise all of the social workers that work with the patients on those units and help form the, the therapy curriculum and help connect them to resources. Okay, wow. So it sounds like you've been in lots of different settings and you've been able to, to sort of have your finger on the pulse of, of what, uh, what adolescents, children have been experiencing in, in all of those settings. Um, I'd like to get into a Pew Research study from January. And um, if I was reading it correctly, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but it said more than being bullied or facing difficulty with drugs or alcohol, parents who you know responded were the most worried about their child experiencing depression or anxiety. Is this something that you've seen in the parents and children that you've interacted with of late? Yes, I definitely mm -hmm. think that that the study is accurate. And I think a lot of it is that since the onset of COVID-19, mm -hmm. we've seen an increase of awareness of the mental health crisis in this country, specifically with children and adolescents. And um, an additional CDC study found that there was a 31% of increase in anxiety and depression symptoms among teens and <clears throat> as, since COVID-19. I, mm -hmm. I think you know, the increased isolation that we all experienced, as well as the disruption of their schedules. And then at the same time, the increase in social media access mm -hmm. has really mm -hmm. affected kids and teens. So would it be safe to say that because of that isolation of COVID-19, that was sort of uh, the, the, the reason for a lot of these increased feelings of depression and anxiety, but also it boosted everyone's awareness of it. It gave us sort of time to sort of pause and and realize or do you which came first i guess would be the question i honestly think it's yeah. pretty much yeah. both at the same time yeah okay all right so sort of a perfect storm and also the cdc's most recent youth risk behavior survey seemed to reflect worsening of mental health trends especially among high school girls over the past decade is this what you're seeing um, have you noticed this change and then a follow-up question to that what is it specifically about girls that could explain this? Right. So I, I think the, the CDC study found that one in three high school girls have seriously considered attempting suicide and that 57% of teenage girls reported feeling persistent sadness and hopelessness, which is a record high. Jeez. I honestly think that it, it's, you know, it, it's hard to really narrow it down to one gender or one reason mm -hmm. within a gender, but I do know that we have seen just this increase in anxiety and depression since the, especially since the pandemic. I, I know that one cause is that I think a lot of 
activities moved to the virtual platform. So when you think about Zoom, Google Meet, FaceTime, you're staring at that little picture of yourself on the screen. Mm -hmm. And um, traditionally more more uh, female than than male um, identifying individuals they they have this this need to conform or this mm -hmm. need to to really fit into that social construct of beauty mm -hmm. and um so i i think that might be a contributing factor as well as you know seeing everything on on social media with these filters and kind of seeing everyone's right. highlight reel and just constantly comparing ourselves to that yeah, the age of social media. Um, so, so that might address some of the, you know, the reasons for for female adolescents. Um, what about mental health concerns? Maybe that you're seeing specifically in boys or children who identify as non-binary. Anything specific? Um, yeah. Well, ways? so for for non-binary and and trans children, I think that seeing everything in the news about legislation designed to limit their access mm -hmm. to gender affirming care and freedom of personal expression is extremely stressful. And, and I think that we don't realize how much they see of that. I think, you know, it's really important to note the statistics that among LGBTQ plus students, close to 70% say that they experience persistent feelings of sadness, sadness and uh, mm -hmm. hopelessness, yeah. and that more than 50% reported having Poor mental health and 25% have attempted suicide. And, oh, and um, so those are pretty recent statistics. And, you know, luckily they are finding a lot of support in, in the schools and from their peers, but um, it's definitely, definitely something that I see a lot in my work here that the mm -hmm. population really struggles. Um, and I, I think just, just uh, providing them as much support as we can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And on that note, we've we've laid out um, sort of what what you're seeing coping skills you know really important tools for adolescents to have but then also tools that maybe parents and caregivers can have to help with this so what tools or strategies can parents caregivers grandparents anyone who is sort of in that caregiving role what can they offer to help the children manage um, you know in healthy ways that anxiety that worry that um, you know, the self-esteem issues um, and other parts of their mental health, what can be done? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that parents and, and caregivers of all kinds really can start with, with modeling those behaviors mm -hmm. in themselves. So just letting, you know, letting them know it's okay to not be okay. Um, you know, when you're stuck in a traffic jam on the way to work, saying things like, oh man, now I'm going to be late to work. I feel so angry. And just really showing them and modeling for them that it's okay to feel that mm -hmm. way and mm -hmm. maybe t like take some deep breaths in the car or say I'm going to listen to some music to help me feel better. Mm -hmm. um, I also think that in this age um, since COVID and with social media we're more isolated and less connected than ever before so it's really important for parents to foster that connection. Um, one thing that I think is a, a bit counterintuitive but um, finding situations where you can connect with your kid without making them make direct eye contact oh, really okay. helps them. It helps them feel more, like allow themselves mm -hmm. to be more vulnerable and open up a bit more. Um, so, I mean, when you think about it, you know, fathers and sons traditionally always go fishing, but they're mm -hmm. looking at the water. They're not looking at each other. Um, some ways to, to allow for those conversations now would be um, driving in a car, playing video games with their kid. Um, 
or even if you just notice them looking down at dinner, just just not correcting that behavior as as being disrespectful, but knowing that they, you know, they might be trying to be a bit more vulnerable with you and it's hard for them to do that while making that eye contact. I hadn't thought about that, but it makes a lot of sense. So is that something, a situation in which, you know, you're doing an activity or just, you know, sitting side by side, whether it's video games or, or whatever, driving in the car, do you suggest just allowing sort of that space that, you know, silence or and hoping that, you know, the, the teen or the child will bring something up or do you encourage uh, parents and caregivers to bring things up? Um, huh. Or does it I, sort of depend on the situation? I think it depends a lot on your yeah. kid. I think, you know, um, it, it really depends on, on the mm-hmm. situation. Um, if you know something might have happened at school, maybe just asking really open-ended questions. Like, you know, if a teacher mm-hmm. has brought something to you, just be like, hey, you know, how did it go in, in Miss Jacobs' class today? Mm-hmm. Um, not saying like, I heard you got in trouble, what happened? But just a little sure. bit more yeah. more of an open-ended question just to give mm-hmm. them that space. Um, but yeah, not to be afraid of the silence. And then another thing um, is when, when, our, when the children come and they finally do share a situation, I, I think as caregivers and as nurturers, we immediately want to offer a solution. Um, but I really encourage you to just allow that space and validate their feelings, um, because sometimes they don't really want that quick fix or they want to figure it out on their own. They just are feeling frustrated and are finally willing to share that with you. So I would say as much as you can try to resist that urge to fix it immediately, um, which is hard. (laughs) It is. It's really hard. hard. But if you think it is something um, that will require you to help or an adult, just say, you know, kind of an open-ended question, like, wow, that sounds so frustrating. You know, is there any way I could help with that? Or Mm -hmm. what do you think should happen next? Okay. So it sounds like modeling good behavior, allowing the space either for silence or for something to be brought up and then just uh, sort of avoiding that, that, uh, that sort of urge to, to do a quick fix. You know, we've got a variety of ages of children. You know, we've got our preschoolers, we've got our 18 year olds. Um, you know, it's a, it's a huge range. And I'm guessing that it's, you know, while we can apply a lot of those strategies and tools, you know, to different ages and tweak them as necessary, what can, you know, parents, is there anything parents or caregivers should sort of keep in mind for those different ages, elementary, middle, high schoolers? Um, any big, any big differences? Yeah, I, I think that that we can start modeling it really early in young mm-hmm. childhood, um, but maybe just kind of change your vocabulary around it. So in my traffic jam example, you know, like, oh man, I I feel so angry. But then mm-hmm. maybe like once your kid's a bit older, kind of moving into more more specific specific mm-hmm. emotions you might feeling or being like, um, oh man, I feel like focusing on, man, I should really focus on what I can control. I'm already Mm going to be late for work, but, but maybe I could just focus on feeling better right now. So I think things like that, I think offering them, I think the coping skills you recommend to your kid, that changes a bit as they get older. So, you know, for elementary school age, things like coloring, sensory activities, Mm -hmm. um, like stress balls or, um, smelling a nice candle. And then as they get into middle school, they might want to explore journaling or more mindfulness activities. And then in high school, you know, if they, if they do have access to a phone, there's even these great mindfulness apps um, and, Mm -hmm. and um, 
a lot of things to there's like new hobbies they could try, different ways of exercising. Um, and even um, if something you want to do as a family, they've got those, those ax throwing places or those. I've seen those. Yeah. Yeah, could, <laughs> yeah. So those could be great things to, to do to help them kind of channel that energy if necessary. So yeah, absolutely. Those are great recommendations. So it sounds like there are plenty of things that parents and caregivers can try modeling the tools. And I know, you know, at school, they've got counselors that they can, that they can um, go to. When is it time for parents to sort of seek out that professional help? If, if things don't seem to be working or improving, and again, you know, you've allowed time, you don't want to, you know, rely on that quick fix, but if, uh, you know, it, things just aren't, aren't going the way that you would hope um, for your child, when is it time to reach out for that professional help? Would you say? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's so important to to look out for those those warning signs. Some warning signs that I encourage parents to look out for would be um, excessive worry, self-blame, increased feelings of guilt, a loss of interest in favorite activities, uh, changes in appetite or sleep schedules. And then, um, of course, the ones where you're immediately going to want to act is if there's any suicidal ideation expressed, um, any self-harming behaviors or any aggressive behaviors, th that is when you need to immediately reach out for help. And, okay. um, yeah. Yeah. And, and for, for that, on that note, would you suggest um, for the things that aren't quite as, you know, immediate, um, would you suggest that parents um, reach out to that school counselor first, reach out to sort of, um, you know, any connection in the community for counseling or, you know, what's, I guess, the sort of the, the progression? Is there any sort right. of ideal progression for that? Well, I think that it'll really depend on on the family and yeah. what they're looking for. The school is absolutely a great resource, uh, but also at Shepherd Pratt, we have a number of resources that are available as well to families. For example, if you are seeing a problem that is just isn't quite a crisis, but isn't getting better on its own, mm -hmm. and so you're seeking non-immediate psychiatric services, we have a care navigation team that's available to help you provide help you finding um, appropriate mm -hmm. care provider for your your child they figure out like what insurance you have, what area you're in, if you oh, want virtual great. or in person. Mm -hmm. And it's a phone number you just call. Um, that's uh, 410-938-5000. And okay. they're open Mondays through Fridays. Now, if, if things have kind of escalated and you feel like therapy once a week or, or, you know, checking in with someone infrequently won't be enough for your mm -hmm. child. We also have psychiatric urgent care, which is a okay. great alternative to going to the ER. It's a lot less traumatic. Um, we have them at both our Towson and Elkridge location, and it's open every day. Um, and what happens there is you meet with a, a professional who's trained in kind of assessing where your child's needs are. And, and this mm -hmm. is for adults as well, but sure. children and adults. Um, but they'll meet with a with the provider and the provider will assess, you know, do they need um, something a bit more than therapy? Do mm -hmm. they need um, like a partial hospitalization program or do they need to be admitted to our inpatient units? And they will make those connections right then and there when you come in. So it's a great resource that we have. Um, and then, of course, if you're, you know, if your loved one is in crisis and they're experiencing um, if, if you feel that they're a danger to themselves or others, there's the 
the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, which you can call or text at 988. And then there's also 911 or mobile crisis in your mm -hmm. in your area. Oh, fantastic. And it sounds like the Shepherd Pratt resources, um, I would imagine those, you know, you can call the phone number or find those on your website. And that's, yes. those sound great, especially because they are, they recognize that it's not one size fits all and they will sort of take it, the child's specific concerns, family's concerns um, into consideration to find the best fit, which is wonderful. Any parting words of encouragement or best advice to offer parents? These are such, you know, heavy times and, and such a heavy topic that's so worthwhile and needs to be talked about and you know can be it, it's it's deep um any words of encouragement to offer absolutely I, I think you know give yourself grace this is an incredibly challenging time to be a parent mm -hmm. and you know listening to a podcast like this is a is a great start and it shows that you're, you're you know you're really thinking about what your what your loved ones need i think also another good piece of advice is to take care of yourself you know mm -hmm. reaching out um, making sure that you're using coping skills and that you have someone to talk to if needed. And then of course, not being afraid to reach out for help. It, it doesn't, you know, like I said, this is a really challenging time. Those statistics are pretty scary and a lot of people are are really struggling right now. And, and so it, it, there's a lot of resources um, within the community to help. Don't be afraid to look into them. No, that's great advice. Well, thank you so much to Jenna Bernstein from Shepherd Pratt for taking the time to speak with us about mental health and coping skills for kids. And thank you to all of our viewers and listeners as well. Make sure you visit chesapeakefamily.com for up-to-date local information on home, health, and living for today's Maryland parent. This episode will be archived on chesapeakefamily.com in video and podcast format. I'm Laura Boycourt with Chesapeake Family Life and Third Floor Views. Thank you so much. Thank you.